Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. Good evening. Welcome to our Good Friday service here at Rocky Valley Baptist Church. Uh, Tonight, uh, if you've never been to a Good Friday service, uh, just so you know a little bit of of what's in store, uh, we will will journey with Jesus tonight. Uh, We will journey with Jesus from the upper room uh, through the Garden of Gethsemane and to the cross. Uh, and as we take that journey, we will, we will look to what really happened on Friday, that Jesus would spread out his arms and hang upon a wooden cross and suffer and die for our sins. And so uh, it, it won't be a necessarily uh, just upbeat and, and dancing, uh, but more somber as we look to, to what happened on Friday, uh, and as we look to really celebrate that without the events of Good Friday, we have no hope. We have, we have no hope, and we have no salvation. We have, we have no use of a Resurrection Sunday without a Good Friday. And so we look to gather together tonight uh, and just look to walk with Jesus. There will be some scriptures that will be read. We will take of the Lord's table together, uh, and we'll look to the cross together. So it should be a a truly wonderful uh, worship of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But let us open in a word of prayer, uh, and then we will sing a hymn together. Father God, Lord, we come before you. We thank you for this beautiful day that you have given us, Lord. God, we thank you that when you created Everything, Lord God, the sun and the moon and the trees and the grass. That God, you created man. And you said you created us in your image. But God, we thank you that when we fell from your grace, Lord God, when sin entered the world, that you did not leave us separated, Lord God. 
But you provided for us salvation through your son, Jesus Christ, Lord God. And we thank you for this opportunity to journey through the last days of Jesus on this earth together tonight. God, let everything said and done be for your honor and your glory. Lord, if there be something that is not for your glory, strike it from our mouths even now. God, we will give you the praise and we will give you the honor because you alone are worthy. And it is in your precious name that we pray. Amen. As Brother Jason already stated, this is somewhat of a somber service. And if you'll note in your program, at the conclusion of the service tonight, um, this is hard for the Baptist Church, but we're going to ask, if you will, to depart in silence as we ponder the, the death of Jesus. Um, it's, it's a very sad time in the life of the church. Uh, not until the third day did we have hope. And our uh, says on the ninth hour that he gave up the ghost. And it was finished. The Father's plan was fulfilled. This service is a remembrance of that. I ask if you will stand as we sing. What wondrous love is this, O my soul. I will see, I will see, while 
Luke 22, 1 through 23. Now the feast of the unleavened bread drew near, while it's called the, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered Jesus, Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. So he went his way and conferred with the chief priests and captains how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he promised and sought opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of the multitude. Then came the day of the unleavened bread, when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat. And they said to him, Where do you want us to prepare? Then he said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house which he enters. There you shall say to the master of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large, furnished upper room. There make ready. So they went and found it just as he had said to them, and they prepared the Passover. When the hour had come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. Then he said to them, With fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. But behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. And truly the Son of Man goes with it as determined. But woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. Then they began to question among themselves which of them it was who would do this thing. Tonight, as we gather together, we look to celebrate the way that Jesus celebrated with his disciples that evening. The scriptures have already been read. So tonight, I just want to give a few instructions uh, as we take of communion together tonight. One is this. At Rocky Valley, we practice what we call an open, closed communion. And so what I mean is this. It is open to anyone who calls themselves a child of God. So if you are saved, if you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, whether or not you are a member of this church or not, I invite you to take communion with us tonight. It's closed in this sense. Scripture gives us very clear instruction. Paul even writes to the church in Corinthians that many of them are sick, Because they come to the Lord's table with an improper heart. They treat it like any other supper. And so I ask you to examine yourself. And if there be any reason in your life that you should not come to the table, not for my sake, not for the sake of Rocky Valley, but for your sake, I ask you to simply not take the cup tonight. Now also... 
Tonight, the communion is, is a little different than having the traditional bread and the separate cup. You have a wafer and a cup in the, in the same container. And so you'll come through once and get it. And instead of having our deacons disperse tonight, uh, the same way that we do at Christmas Eve, I'm going to ask that you come, and I'm going to serve everyone. That way our deacons get an opportunity to be served once a year uh, instead of serving every time. So I'm going to ask that this side of the sanctuary uh, would kind of make their way around the back, up. I will serve them once they're done, the center, and then this side, and then I will serve you, choir, so that you don't have to come down. Uh, and musicians, I will serve you as well. Uh, so at this time, I'd like to ask you guys to come.
And after he had given the bread, the drink, he said, this is my body broken for you, and this is my blood shed for the remission of sins. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. I'm going to bless it, and then we will take of the body and the blood at the same time. Father God, God, we thank you for your body. We thank you for your blood. We thank you for the opportunity to come to your table and communion together. Father, we thank you for what it represents. That is, often as we take of this, we are in communion with you, Father. Until the day that you return, and we're in our permanent communion with you, God. So God, let us never take of this bread or juice lightly, but always do it in remembrance of you. Amen. Take, eat, and take, drink. Matthew 26, 36 through 46. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, O my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again a second time he went away and prayed saying, O my Father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them sleeping again, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them, went away again, and prayed a third time, saying the same words. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. I forget thy thorn crowned brow, be 
Matthew 26, starting in verse 47. And while he came, I'm sorry, and while he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now his betrayer had given them a sign, saying, Whomever I kiss, he he is the one, seize him. Immediately he went up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. But Jesus said to him, Friend, why have you come? Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And suddenly one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword, struck the servant of the high priest, and cut off his ear. But Jesus said to him, Put your sword in its place, for all those who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my father? And he will provide me with more than twelve legions of angels. How then could the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen thus? In that hour, Jesus said to the multitudes, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple, and you did not seize me. But all this was done that the, scripture, the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled.
Will you stand and sing, please? verse 27 through 31. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around him, and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. When they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! Then they spat on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they took the robe off him, put his own clothes on him, and led him away to be crucified. Isaiah 53, 4 through 5. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed.
John 19, 17 through 27. And he, bearing his cross, went out to a place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha, 
where they crucified him. And the two others with him, one on either side, and Jesus in the center. Now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. And the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. The many of the Jews read this title for the place where the Jews, Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Hebrew, in Greek, and Latin. Therefore the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews. But he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments, made four parts, each to a soldier apart, and also the tunic. And the tunic was without seam, woven from the top into one piece. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not tear it, but let's cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which says, they divided my garments among them, for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore the soldiers did these things. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her unto his own home. on the road to Calvary Tried by sinful men Torn and beaten men Nailed to a cross of wood It's the power of the cross Christ became
Should boast 
so much choir and our instrumentalists, accompanists, I don't know, whatever the proper word I'm looking for there. Thank you. And thank you all for being here this evening. We come to the time in the program where we will open the Word of God together. And for those of you who are getting nervous, who have heard me preach before, this will not be a normal length sermon. So if you're accustomed to me preaching 30 to 40 minutes, don't worry. I'll only preach an hour this evening. But turn your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke in the 23rd chapter, and we will begin in the 39th verse. Savior, O suffering Savior. As this day should always be a somber day, even with the title of Good Friday, we only know the goodness of Friday because of the events of Sunday. So, so what I want us to always do as we look back to the Friday service, as we look to the events of Friday, we always want to remember that on that day, it didn't seem like such a good Friday. 
They didn't have the knowledge of the events of Sunday morning. Now, granted, had they really understood who the Messiah was, they may have understood more. But even those who walked closely with him did not fully understand what he had been teaching them this whole time. And so as we've walked with Jesus tonight, I hope that you have used your imagination a bit. I hope that you have tapped into perhaps your inner child a little bit as the scriptures have been read and that perhaps you went to an upper room with our Savior. And perhaps as you were in that upper room, you recognized that one of the twelve whom you were breaking bread with was going to be the very one that would betray you. And yet, you still gathered in the upper room with him. I hope that you went with your Savior to Gethsemane to pray where you looked upon your greatest friends as they slept in your greatest hour of need on this earth. As you surveyed what was coming and prayed to your Father, if there's any way that this cup should pass, let it pass. And your greatest friends slept instead of praying. And now, as we journey through Luke's account of the events of the cross. Look to the Savior. Oh, the suffering Savior, as we read, beginning in verse 39, Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And now it was about the sixth hour. And there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And then the sun was darkened and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. So when the centurion saw what had happened, he glorified God saying, certainly This was a righteous man. And the whole crowd who came together to that site, seeing what had been done, beat their breasts and returned. But all his acquaintances and the women who followed him from Galilee stood at a distance, watching these things. Let us pray. Father God, God, we pray that if somehow there be a spirit in this house that is not of your Holy Spirit, God, would you escort it politely out the front door, Lord God. That nothing would hinder us from staring to the grace and the mercy that we find in our suffering servant on the cross. God, let nothing cloud our minds and let us focus solely on you for the next few minutes. For it is in your precious saving name that we pray. As all of God's children said... Amen, and you may be seated. Uh, First, in verses 39 through 43, we're going to look at the salvation 
of the sinner. Now, now, if you looked at the verses that were preceding verse 39, you will see that Jesus is now upon the cross. His journey of punishment, his walk down the Via Dolorosa of punishment has come to a conclusion. He has come to the place called the skull. He has been laid out upon the timbers. The nails have been driven into his hands. The nails have been driven into his feet. The crown has been placed upon his head. The blood is trickling down his face and the cross is stood up between two thieves our Savior stands at the time we come to verse 39 and yet Jesus as all of this is going on as all of the events of a phony trial of a mockery that have been made of him have gone on as he is raised upon the cross the the scripture tells us that Jesus utters one of his few statements from the cross when he says Father forgive them They don't know what they're doing. Uh, uh, Father, please forgive them for this act. They don't realize what is happening here. And so the crowd is shouting out. They're jeering at him. Hail, King of the Jews. Some king you are, Jesus. Ah, you said you were something, but look at you on the cross between two common thieves. These common thieves, these men who who would beat people on the journey to Jerusalem, who would rob them, and there you are between them. Ah, something special you were. Ah, what were we thinking to wave the palm branches in your presence last week? You are merely a false prophet. You've not delivered us what we thought you were going to deliver. Deliver us. Hang there. Jesus, hang there. And imagine the sovereign king of the world hanging there, listening to the jeers. If you look at Mark's account of the events, he tells us that even the thieves on either side were jeering him. He says both of them. They were so caught in the moment as they watched what was going on that even those who were hanging there on the cross beside him would look over and say, if you're a king, why don't you just save all three of us? If you are truly the son of God, why do you hang here save us all? But in verse 40, Of Luke's account, we see something miraculous begin to happen. We see one of the thieves go from a state of blasphemy to a state of salvation. We see his tone change as he begins to look over. Imagine with me, this thief over here, jeering at Jesus. Ah, you're some king. And suddenly this thief over here begins to change his tune and he says, hey... What's the matter with you? Do you not realize that this man who hangs between us has done nothing wrong? Do you not realize that while you and I were out on the road committing the crimes for which we are being punished, this man was doing nothing wrong and yet here he hangs with us? What is the matter with you? Something happened to that man to cause him to change his tune. Was it the realization That he was on a cross? Was it the realization that perhaps for the first time in his life of of crime and all of the things he had done wrong, he had come to a point where he wasn't getting out of this one? 
He was on the cross and he realized it's too late. There's nothing coming that's going to take me off this cross except for death. Was it the pain that he was enduring as he hung there that caused him to change his tune? No, my friend, the only thing that can change the tune of man in such an immediate response as that is that he met Jesus on that cross. He looked over. And I believe that when he looked over to his side, at that body hanging between him, and heard all of the insults being hurled that way, and heard Jesus respond in no way other than to say, Father, forgive them. I believe Jesus probably glanced that way. And when he looked upon Jesus, he saw the mercy in his eyes, and he was so overcome with the fear of God, that he began to understand that truly this man is the Messiah. Truly, this one beside me is the Son of God. And he began to believe. How do I know that he began to be believed? How do I know that he was saved? Because when he cried out to Jesus, he understood that the cross wasn't the end. If he didn't realize the cross wasn't the end, he wouldn't have said... Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus didn't look like a king hanging on a cross. He was going to die there on that cross. And the thief knew that all three of them were going to end in the same fate that day. But when he looked at Jesus, he recognized that there was something spectacular and supernatural about this one hanging. He said, you are going to claim your kingdom today. And would you take me with you? And Jesus uttered the same words that he utters to sinners today. You will be with me. You will be with me. The salvation of the sinner made evident on the cross. But next, let's look at verses 44 through 46. And the suffering of the Savior. It says it was about the sixth hour. Now, there is a whole lot that is written in verse 44 in a few words. And it starts with that, it was the sixth hour. Now, in order to understand that fully, we have to understand that the Jewish uh, clock didn't exactly operate exactly the way ours did. Uh, and so their, their day kind of began at around 6 a.m., but it really had to do with the sun. But it was about 6 a.m. when their day would begin. And so when it was says that it was about the sixth hour, it was noon, okay? It was the apex of the day. It was the middle of the day. It's what we would call the hottest part of the day. Why is it so hot at midday? Because that's when the sun is at its brightest in your part of the world is at midday. And so the sun was up at its apex. The world was as bright as it was going to be in that particular region. The day was full. What happens next is what I call the transition between the scene being dominated by sinful man and the scene becoming dominated by sovereign God. Now, it was dominated by a sovereign God from the beginning. But right here is where he really puts it on display. He shuts everybody up and says, watch me do what I'm doing. Because it says that right there in the middle of the day, 
there was darkness over the earth. There was darkness over the earth. From 9 to 12 that day, the crowd was jeering. But from 12 to 3, nobody said a word. Nobody said a word. In that terrain, if darkness fell, you wouldn't move. Because it's too rocky an area. You wouldn't dare take a chance on stumbling around. And so I believe that this crowd of people that had gathered around the cross, suddenly the lights went out. Now it doesn't say that it happened immediately, but it doesn't say that it happened slowly. And I happen to believe that it happened immediately at the hour in which God said, okay, that's enough. It's time for me to do what I came here to do. And suddenly the lights went out. Now, my friends, they would have been overtaken as they sat there in the darkness. How many of you have ever been in a situation where it was just pitch black dark all of a sudden? And if you're sitting there in that situation where it's pitch black dark all of a sudden and the lights don't come back on pretty quick, your mind starts to do things, doesn't it? I don't know if I'm the only one, but I have seen things go bump in the night in my mind when the darkness overtakes and my nightlight don't come back on. I think, oh my goodness, I just heard something. I just saw something. Something just happened. And I believe that as the people stood around the cross and the darkness fell upon the land, that they probably started to think to themselves, Oh my Lord, what has happened? And if they were very good Bible scholars, they would have understood that in all of their lives of study of the Old Testament, that any time that darkness fell, there was a divine judgment of God going on. Now, for the sake of time, I'm not going to go back, but I'll just tell you, if you'll take a little time and read through the books of Isaiah and Joel and Exodus, you'll see times when darkness fell and the divine hand of God was passing judgment upon the people. Now, now we'll go back through that another time. But for the sake of time, just let me let you know that as they sat there in the dark, I believe that they would have understood that the divine judgment of God was taking place. And if you read all of the gospel accounts, you'll see that there's just not a lot written about what's going on in this segment of time. Now, if you read all four accounts, you'll get different things that are going on at the cross for every other section of time except for this dark period of time between midday and three hours from there. So 12 to 3, none of the writers could think of much to write other than to say, it got dark. Now, why was that? Because what was happening in that darkness was that a holy God was pouring out the fullness of His wrath upon a spotless sacrifice hanging on a tree. Let me say that again. For those three hours, a holy God was pouring out the fullness of His wrath upon a spotless lamb hanging on a wooden Temper. You know why the gospel writers couldn't write about it? 
is because they couldn't comprehend it. They had no idea what to write. They had no idea how to put it in words. They had no understanding of how to pin the letter. Because what was going on on that cross is beyond our comprehension. In fact, if we were able to comprehend it, I believe the terror would shake us to our core. We were incapable of handling what was happening to our Savior on that cross. We don't understand the agony. But I'll try to put it in perspective for you. God's wrath is poured out upon sinners when they don't repent in the form of an eternity in hell. And so for three hours on that cross, God literally poured hell upon Jesus. You could live your entire life and die apart from Jesus and it would take you an eternity to endure the wrath of God for your sins and your sins alone. But in just three short hours, my Jesus endured the wrath of God everyone's sin who would believe in him. Think about that agony. Take you a lifetime to pay for just yours. And in three hours, he paid for everyone who would believe on him. Verse 45 says that the veil of the temple was split. The cross gave us atonement. The curtain split shows that we now have access. There's no longer a need for a high priest The only high priest just sacrificed. No longer a need to to bring a blood sacrifice. The only blood that was needed was just shed. No longer a need for a Passover lamb because the spotless lamb of God was just slain. Can you imagine the priests as they were preparing? This was their day to shine. The lambs were coming to be slain. They would enter the holy of holies. They would provide the sacrifices and suddenly it's dark. They can't see. Three to five was the time they had to do their deed and they can't see to prepare it. And now all of a sudden chaos ensues as the veil of the temple is split and suddenly this inner room that was only accessible by those with the proper robes is split open and Jesus said, All you who are thirsty, come and I will give you drink. All you who labor, come and I'll give you rest. All you who sin, come and sin no more because you have access to the Father. And then Jesus cries out. If you look at Mark's account, as the darkness lifts, Jesus says, My God, my God, Why have you forsaken me? Now there have been commentaries and books written and hundreds of thousands of sermons preached by preachers much smarter than I. Over why did Jesus say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But I believe it's because once the veil of the temple was split, Jesus knew that the wrath of God had been satisfied, that sin had been justified, that the access had been granted, 
And as he hang there on the tree, I believe that Jesus anticipated that there would be a comfort on that cross. But it wasn't there. It wasn't there. It wasn't there because the blameless and spotless lamb had taken your sin and my sin upon himself. And we can see that when the father turned his back on his son, that we too, if we die without Jesus, there'll never be a comfort from God. Never. There's never a comfort from God if you die apart from Jesus. The separation is far worse than the punishment of hell. The fire, the flame, the burning, the gnashing of teeth, all of those things are a drop in the bucket compared to the knowledge that one has when they get there that they will never know hope again because they'll never know God. And for the first time in their lives, they'll be hopeless. And so, my friend, I want you to comprehend that when the sky went dark, the Savior suffered so much on your behalf. But real quickly as we close, and we won't read them again for sake of time, but in verses 47 through 49, we see three groups of people. One, we see a centurion. Now, this guy would have been a hard dude. He would have been a mean guy. He would have been tougher than nails. He would have been the one who had arrested Jesus. He and his company would have been with Jesus from the time that they had arrested him until the time that he died. That was their job, was to watch over the prisoner. And so he would have been there. He would have given the lashes, or at least given the order for the lashes to have been given. He would have swung the cat of nine tails. He would have seen it all. He would have had no mercy upon Jesus, regardless what he said. <coughs> And his intention would have been fully to have carried that man to that hill, strapped him to that tree, watched him die, and went about his business because that was what he did. But my scripture tells me that while he walked with this prisoner, he began to see something that changed him. That this prisoner would sit on the cross and say, Father, forgive them, asking that forgiveness would be given to his accusers. That this one, during his time on the cross, the, the sky would go dark. That the temple would split. And that when he died, he said, Father, I commend my spirit. And this centurion became a believer because of the sight of salvation on that cross. He gazed upon the cross of Jesus and said, I believe. I believe, and he was saved. There's another group of people, though. There's a crowd. In Luke's account, it says they beat their chest as they walked away. Now, at first glance, you might think that that is a, a proud thing. Sometimes, I don't know about some of you other men, but sometimes uh, when, when I beat up one of my children, I beat my chest in success. Sometimes when I beat up some of your children in children's church, I do the same thing. Just, I've never beat up anybody's child in children's church. But we beat our chest, right? And so I thought, wow, 
the gall of them to be proud at what had happened. But when you study uh, just a little bit into the culture, you'll find out that that's not a sign of pride, it's a sign of conviction. That like the rich young ruler, when he walked away from Jesus, it says that he bowed his head and he beat his chest because he understood he couldn't do what Jesus had said he needed to do. And so this crowd that walks away is not walking away proud, beating their chest. They're walking away under the conviction of God. They've recognized that truly this was the Messiah. That we have done something we shouldn't have done. And I believe that this crowd was part of the ones that when the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost, they were part of the ones that got saved as Peter began to preach. And so they left under conviction. The centurion left a believer. And it says that Jesus' closest friends looked on and they were basically in shock and awe. Is it over? Is this what we've been following? What's happened? What are we going to do now? And so they left in sorrow. Now, my friend, come back Sunday morning. If you don't come here, go somewhere Sunday morning. And see what they would see in a few days as they went to a tomb. And recognize the events of the cross were not for nothing. But they were for salvation. But if you're here tonight, I ask you to ask yourself this question. When you look to the cross upon which Jesus died, can you like the centurion say, I'm a believer? Or do you look at the cross upon which Jesus died and take account the suffering he endured for you and leave here under conviction. Conviction for the things in your life that separate you from Jesus. Or do you leave here and recognize that you've never come to the foot of the cross? And you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And my friend, if that's you, don't leave here with anything unresolved with Jesus. You come and find me. Come and find me now. Come and find me after the service. But don't you leave here until you know that you know that Jesus is the Lord of your life. Let's pray. Father God, God, we just come to you and we thank you for your cross. God, we thank you for the darkness. And then while we don't understand it. We can't fathom it. God, we thank you for it because we know that that's where we belonged. That for all of my sins and all of my failures, I deserve the cross. But because of your grace, you endured the shame of the cross on my behalf. So, Father... In this house tonight, that all of us who leave under conviction, leave our sins and our burdens here tonight at the foot of your cross because you've already paid for them. Let us not drag them with us anymore so that when we return to your house of worship Sunday morning, we won't have the hindrance of our sin pulling us back. But we'll spend the rest of this weekend praising you because you are worthy. God, if someone here doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, God, please give them the conviction to come and say, I want to see Jesus. Father, it's in your precious name that we pray.
book of John, chapter 19. Verse 28 through 42. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there. And they filled a sponge with sour wine and put it to a hyssop and put it on his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Therefore, because it was preparation day, that the bodies should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for, the, for that Sabbath, a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs may be broken and that they might be taken away. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other and was crucified with him. Who was crucified with him? But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water came out. And he who had seen has testified and his testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth. So that you may believe. For these things were done that the scriptures should be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken. And again another scripture says. They shall look on him whom they pierced. After this Joseph of Arimathea began being a disciple of Jesus. But secretly for fear of the Jews asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, who was at first, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a, and about a hundred pounds. Then they took the body of Jesus and bound him in strips of linen with spices, as the custom of the Jews is to bury. Now is in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb, in which no one had yet been laid. So there they laid Jesus, because of the Jews' preparation day, for the tomb was nearby. Will you stand as we sing? How deep the Father's love for us. Behold a man upon a cross, 
it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished his dying breath has brought me life I know that it is finished I will not boast in anything no kiss, no power, no Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart. His words have paid my ransom. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot conclude this service with our anthem were you there at the conclusion of the anthem you are dismissed
Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day.